This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. And they are from Canton, Ohio, Saints Worship, who was already up here this morning uh, leading in worship. And then we have Pastor Jordan Smucker, who's actually with us at one of uh, the City Church events now for the fourth time. And he said this in first service, and I believe that it's true. At this point, he's just family. He's no longer a guest. So let's just welcome one of our family members to the stage this morning, Pastor Jordan Smucker. Love you, man. Well, hey, good morning, City Church. You excited to be in church this morning? Come on. Look at this, man. He just mentioned it, but uh, like he said, I've been here for four years in a row now. And so I'm just your adopted little brother, okay? Is that cool? Is that all right? Can I just be a part of this family? It's been so much fun to see this this church and what God is doing through this house continue to grow. Um, And it's just, it's a blast. You're part of something really special. Uh, And please don't ever take it for granted what God is doing in and through the city church and what it is that you guys are committed to uh, seeing God um, seeing God do. I love this house so much. If you're a bit newer to this church, I mean, I imagine that we have some new folks in here. Um, we, we, we really believe that you don't have to believe everything that everyone around you believes in order to belong in this family. So just sit back, relax. We're going to have a, a good time this morning. We believe that church should be enjoyed and not simply endured, right? Come on, that this isn't, this, this isn't school. And this isn't work, man. We're going to have fun. We believe that God is a joyful and fun Heavenly Father. And so we're just going to have a, we're going to have a good time in here today. Hey, before we go any further, um, I, I found out this morning that it is your senior pastors, Pastor Brent and Nicole, 23rd anniversary. 23 years. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Wow, 23 years of marriage. That's amazing. That's so incredible. We love these guys so much. It says a lot about a church that would stand in honor a couple who stayed faithful to each other for 23 years. And I just want to say, um, it's not just about them. It's about all of us. Anybody who is married in here, you deserve to be applauded. Um, you're awesome. But specifically, I love these guys so much. Pastor Brent, PB, is, uh, is a friend of mine and um, just love being a part of this family. And Nicole, love you and your beautiful daughters. And thank you guys, seriously, thank you so much for believing in uh, just our church and, um, and everything that God's doing. So you're amazing. Thank you mostly for investing in the next generation because very few churches do that. Now, we like to say that if you want to see a culture change, invest into the kids and the youth, wait 10 to 20 years, and you just change the culture. It's one thing to invest into adults. Everybody's doing it, right? It's another thing to invest into students who are extremely moldable, extremely malleable, and then wait 10, 20 years, and you've just changed the culture. And that's exactly what this church is about. They're a forward-facing, uh, future-oriented church, and I'm honored to get to be a really small part of it. Um, hey, we want to jump into this. This morning, I went about two minutes too long earlier, so I'm, I'm going to kind of cut out some of my intro here and uh, make sure you don't get too hungry on me and then let you all dismiss for lunch. But I want to talk today from a, a message entitled, Helping the Next Generation Win. Helping the next 
generation win. And for context's sake, I want to define the next generation as anybody who's coming up behind you. So regardless of our age in here, there's somebody younger. They're the generation coming after you. And therefore, we need to do our part to help the next generation win. So turn to somebody next to you and say, this is for you. Come on, this is for you. Now turn to your second option, person you like, not quite as much, and say, this is for you too. It's for you too. And say, I still love you. I still love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, we ask that you would, again, make up the distance between what I would humanly and practically say and what you need to be said on this day by your grace. God, we also just lift up the Cleveland Indians to you that they would win a World Series. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, that they'd stay healthy in their old age. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said? The Cleveland Indians, um, if you're not familiar, they're the team that swept the Toronto Blue Jays last year in the playoffs then beat them up all year in the regular season. I'm not saying that to rub salt on an open wound. I'm saying that for context in case you're unfamiliar who the Cleveland Indians are. They won 101 games this year. It's not a big deal. Anyway, um, uh, you know, growing up, every Tuesday night I would... I would spend time, rather I would sleep at my, at my dad's house, and, and on Wednesday mornings he would take me to school. You see, I, my parents, they divorced when I was three years old, and, and I like to tell young people who are kind of going through a, a challenging season of, of separation with their parents or divorce with their parents, I say, hey, listen, it's not so bad. You see, my, my parents, my parents um, amicably uh, decided to, to split my sister and my time 50-50 between each home, right? So... So I got to spend equal amount of time with both families. And the truth be told is, is in comparison to all my other friends who came from just one family unit home, I got twice as many gifts at Christmas, twice as many birthday presents, and twice as much candy at Easter. So I'm like, hey, man, life's all about perspective. Like, my life's actually better than yours. You know what I'm saying? Like, like but, but on Tuesday nights and then on the weekends, I'd spend time at my, at my dad's house. And because my dad lived outside of the, the school district that I attended, on Wednesday mornings, he would... He would drive me to school. And my dad's like a hero in my life. He is one of my best friends, if not my best friend. And, and, and so even when I was younger, I just loved spending time with him. I, I just enjoyed every opportunity that we could, we could hang out. And, and so on Wednesday mornings, I looked forward to our car rides to school. Th- those 10, 15 minutes were like a joy to me. And on this particular morning, my dad had to go into work early, at which point then he'd come back and, and pick me up and take me to school. And my, and my stepmom, she had to leave a little bit earlier as well. And so for about 10 minutes, while I'm in third grade, I had to be home alone and wait for my dad to arrive. No big deal. I'm in third grade. I can handle this. I got, I got my big boy pants on, a potty trained. I, I can take on life now, you know. And so I'm sitting on the front windowsill of a, of a large bay window that overlooked our front yard. And and in the front of our house, we had a fairly long lane, about maybe 200 meters. It was, it was pretty long. So you could see, you could see any visitors coming uh, from a distance. And so I would just sit there and I would just wait for my dad to arrive, at which point I'd go out the garage, I'd hop in his truck, and off we'd go to school. And on this particular morning, 8.15 arrives. The normal time that my dad would come rolling down the driveway, I'd go out the garage, I'd hop in his truck, and whew, off to school with my, with my, with my pops. This day, though, 8.30 comes around, still nothing. 8.45, nothing. 9 o'clock, nothing. I'm thinking, okay, no big deal. I'm going to be a little bit late. My dad's probably got stuck in traffic. I'm thinking the best. Everything's 
Everything's fine. I'm going to be fashionably late to school. I'm going to be that, that cool third grader like, yo, what's up? You come to school on time? Not me, man. I'm too cool for school, you know? Yeah, 9.15, 9.30. At this point, I'm starting to get a little bit scared. Like, I'm, I'm in third grade. I'm, I'm home alone. Like, what? Did you, did you forget about me, Dad? Like, did something happen? Did you get into a car accident? Did you have like, a serious health issue come up? Like, what? 9.45, 10. 10.30, finally, I see my dad's truck roaring down the driveway. He's already an aggressive driver, but now he's like pedaled to the metal, slams on his brakes just before the garage door, runs in the house. Tears are streaming down my face. My little boy backpack is on my shoulders, and I'm just crying. Dad, Dad, Dad where, where were you? He hugs me. He says, son, I'm so sorry. Dad, why were you late? In my classic dad fashion, he just kind of owns up to his failure. Son, I'm so sorry. I just, I just simply forgot. I am so sorry. Dad, how did you forget? I, I know you got four sons. I'm the oldest and I'm your favorite. My dad's like, Jordan, you're not my favorite, but you are one of my favorite. Please forgive me, you know. Okay, fine. We move on, right? Years go by, and I always give my dad a hard time about that story. And Dad, remember that one time you forgot me for two hours, like left me by myself? Like, what kind of father are you? He's like, Jordan, seriously, you're going to bring this up again? Like, Dad, you owe me money. Give me money, you know. I'd give him a hard time about this until last fall, just a year ago now. One particular Tuesday morning, I'm, um, I'm waking up, and I look at my, my calendar, and I realize that my schedule's kind of light. I've got a beautiful family. Can we throw this picture up there, Leto, of my family? My, my wife and, and my, my son, Judah, he's three now, Sophia. She's eight now, going to be nine next month, and it's great. Like, me and Sophia, she's my princess. She is my, she's my, she's my baby girl. Like, we love to go on dates together. We love to play together. She's just an amazing young little girl. And, and so this day, I, I realized that my afternoon is wide open. So I said to my wife, hey, babe, I said, I'm going to pick up Sophia from school today. I'm going to take her out on an ice cream date. She's like, okay, that's, that sounds great, babe. Sophia's going to love it. Oh, I know. She's going to love it. She's my princess. When she sees me arrive, she's going to freak out. Dad, you're awesome. You're the best. You're the man. You know, so this, you know, sometimes time just gets away from you, though. And you just kind of, you lose track of the things that are most important. Like, top of your list for the day, I'm going to accomplish this. Nine o'clock rolls around, you're like, I never accomplished this, right? And so all of a sudden, it's 4.30, and it begins to dawn on me. Like, I, I feel like I'm forgetting something. My, my phone... My wallet, my keys, which I'm infamous for losing all of those things every single day. I, mean, I got them all. Like, I'm good. What is it? Oh, I, my daughter. I call my wife. I'm like, babe, babe, you know I was supposed to pick up Sophie at 3.30 and it's 4.30? You didn't happen to not trust me this morning, did you? She's like, no, why? I'm like, no worries. Hang up the phone. True story. Call the school. I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. This is Jordan Smucker, Sophia Smucker's dad. I am on my way to pick her up. Please forgive me. I'll be right there. Ten minutes. Give me time. I, I just go. I'm like driving through red lights, stop signs, like total, no regard for, for like traffic laws at all. I'm just trying to get there. 
And as I get there, I am briskly walking into the school and just waiting to, to, to see like tears rolling down my daughter's face in fear that I've just completely abandoned and forgot about her. No, 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 that's not what happens. Uh, she, she briskly walks out of the school, stomping her feet with a scowl on her face. No tears. Scowl on her face. Where were you? And I'm like, baby, I am so sorry. You know, I'm thinking my dad owned up to it. I forgave him. I'll own up to it. She'll forgive me. Sophie, I just, I just simply forgot. Please forgive me. How could you forget? I'm your only daughter and your princess. I'm like, oh my gosh, baby, I came though to take you on an ice cream date. Does that make it better? That makes it totally better, dad. Let's go get ice cream. You know? Ice cream's been redeeming and reconciling relationships for thousands of years now. <laughs> it's kind of comical, right? Because to a certain degree, we can all relate to the idea of forgetting things that are really important in our lives. Like we all have stories of that thing, that moment. Where we're like, oh, shoot, I forgot. And, and yet this isn't new to just the generations that exist today. This has been going on for millennia. I mean, we can see this all the way back in, in, in the scriptures. I, I, I think in, in one sense we could say that one of the greatest generations to ever live, which, which begins in Exodus chapter 2, it's, it's, its leader is a man by the name of Moses. Moses is a prophet of God. A prophet, if you're new to church, is simply someone who speaks on behalf of God to God's people. It's just a leader of, of, a, of a tribe, of a people group. And this is Moses. Moses is called upon by God to lead what I think is one of the absolute most brilliant and greatest generations to ever walk the face of the earth. Moses got so, gets a word from God. He says, I want you to go back to my people, the Israelites, rescue them from the slavery and the bondage of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Take them out, and I'm going to take you into a land that I will show you, that I promise to give you. It's going to be a beautiful. I'm going to restore my kingdom and build up my people once again. Moses goes back. He stands before Pharaoh, the, the most powerful emperor of the day. And he looks at Pharaoh and says, you must let God's people go. And, and, and the people of God, the children of God, the Israelites, experience five of the most miraculous events that I can imagine built such great faith within this great generation. The first one is the miracle of the ten plagues. See, Moses is uh, kind of skeptical. Like if I go back to Pharaoh, who's pretty powerful and, and has, has millions of people at his disposal, and I try to rescue 600,000 Israelite slaves, what, what power and authority will I have to take them from the grips of Pharaoh? And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send plagues on your behalf, my people will be shielded. Their people will not. I'm going to prove to them that I am God and he must let them go. The first plague is, 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 is Moses shoves his rod down into the Nile River. The entire river turns to, to blood. Come on, blood. The fish die, rise to the top. There's a stench that overwhelms the land. Another plague is, is, is hail comes down from the, from the heavens. It destroys all the crops. Still, still Pharaoh won't let these slaves, the Israelites, go. Another one... It destroys all of the livestock. It's a disease that, that, that kills off all the healthy animals of the, of the land. Eventually, finally, after ten plagues, Pharaoh's like, fine, I'm going to let you people go because if I don't, I'm going to have nothing for them to slave for. Might as well let them go. These people, these Israelites, Moses included, see these, 
these, these, these miracle of the ten plagues, they, they go forth, all 600,000, and they find themselves kind of at an impasse where the Sinai Peninsula meets the, meets the, the Red Sea. And, and they're thinking for a moment, I mean, how are we going to get across the sea? It's kind of a challenge here. And just before they can come up with a solution, they see and hear in the distance 600 of Pharaoh's finest chariots racing after the Israelites because suddenly Pharaoh was like, I don't like making my own breakfast. We need to get those Israelite slaves back into our territory. They go chasing after them. Moses frantically takes his rod, shoves it into the sea again, realizing God's got to do a miracle in the moment. And the people see the miracle of the Red Sea. The sea splits. The land dries. The 600,000 Israelites march across the dry land. As soon as they get to the other side, man, church, this is not just stories that we use in children's church on flannel graph in 1992. Like, this stuff really happened. Like, this is a big deal. This generation saw God do some miraculous things. And then as they're on the other side of the Red Sea, we, we see the miracle of, of the Israelites being led and fed for 40 years. And it's a miracle because they're in the desert, yet God shields them from the scorching hot heat of the sun and guides them by night with a light like a fire. Every single morning they wake up and there's manna, bread from heaven, just outside of their tents. Like God just miraculously provides food for them. And for those who you know, are maybe on a little bit more of a strict diet and don't want to overload on carbs, God provides quail from the heavens, meat from the heavens, which just, by the way, is proof that God loves all of humanity. He gave us meat. And if you don't love meat, you don't love Jesus, okay? This is another story, all right? Okay? I'm, I'm a meatosaurian for life, a meatitarian, a stuff forever. Okay? All right. That's Bible. Let's move on. Okay. And then, and then, and then 40 years go by, and, and God says, it's time. It's time for you to take the land, the land that I promised you, the land that I've been revealing to you, the land that we've been talking about, the vision that I've, that I've given you. And, and Joshua, Moses' predecessor, says, okay, let's go. He begins to lead the Israelites. At this point, they're a million-plus people, just a huge nation. And they're about to take all this promised land from God. But the first thing that stands in their way is the Jordan River. And just as the Israelites saw God do a miracle at the Red Sea, the same miracle takes place. They split the Jordan River because on the other side is the land that God had promised. They see the miracle of the Jordan River. The fifth and final miracle is the miracle of Jericho. I mean, at this point, they have seen some miraculous things, but nothing quite like Jericho. God says, I'm going to give you Jericho. These people are, 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 are your people. I'm going to give you this fortified, walled city. But the people are looking, the Israelites are looking, and they're realizing that this, this, this wall around this the city of Jericho is impenetrable. And, and really, warfare in that day was relatively elementary. Most cities had walls around them, but if you wanted to kind of smoke them out, so to speak, outside of the fortified walls of their city, simply cut off the supply lines, the, the rivers, the water, the, the livestock from outside the city, and it would force the people to come out. But Jericho was unique because there was a natural spring that came up from within inside the walls of the city. Through their own crops, their own livestock, they could live for a long time on just what they had within those walls. And, and, and so God says, okay, I want you to march around this city seven times. On the seventh day, you're going to give a loud shout. Trump is going to blow. Come on, you know the story. And suddenly the, the Israelites shout and the walls come tumbling down. Can you imagine being a part of this generation? 
and seeing this firsthand, the miracles that God... Can you imagine being 13, 14 years old, 40 years later, sharing with your children the things that you've seen? Son, I can remember when Moses showed up. And we were slaves. But God sent these plagues. And we were free. So I can remember, I can remember every single morning walking around wondering where are we going to eat. But the next morning, there'd be fresh bread from heaven, fresh, fresh quail from heaven. I can remember the Jordan River splitting in half. Son, I can remember being a warrior under Joshua, marching around the cities and not sure what's going to happen, but just trusting that God's going to provide and shouting, ah, and boom, the walls come tumbling down. Son. I can imagine. I bet that this generation had faith unlike any other generation. I can imagine that their hope was so deeply rooted in the faithfulness and trust of their God, unlike any other generation. But just like every other generation, something something happened as time progressed. And we see in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, follow along with me on the screens, if you will. It says, the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and, of course, Moses and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, then died at the age of 110. Now listen to this, verse 10. After that generation died, here it is, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The Israel's the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And when I read this, I can't help but think, how could they forget? How could you forget the Red Sea? How could you forget being led and fed? How could you forget the miracle at, at Jericho? And yet, of course, we understand, we, we all forget. We all forget at times the things that we realize in the moment, in this moment, are most important in, in, all, of our, in all of our lives. I, I just want to propose to you for just a moment, church, that it is our responsibility. We have a mandate on us, regardless of our age, to pass on to the next generation the stories and the miracles of the past to make sure that those who are coming up behind us don't forget. If we don't pass on, if we don't take on that mantle, we'll see a repeat of Judges chapter 2. In, in America, uh, where, where I hail from, the, the great United States, which hardly seems united in the moment, but, but, but there's said to be five living generations. And just hang with me for a moment. I know we're in Canada, but, but you know, here you're like, here's another... Classic American, talk about America. Yeah, forgive me, but don't forgive me. Yeah, okay, we love our country. Okay, here we go. And, and, but there's said to be five generations who are currently living. And just for, just for pleasure's sake, we're going to throw up some pictures that kind of stereotype these five existing generations. We're going to go in, in sequential order, beginning with the oldest. And the first one is what, is what historians refer to as the greatest generation. This is the generation who fought World War II. And these are heroes in our generation in the States. And I really, I think these are, these are men and women in countries all over the world that, that are really heroes to, to the world. And, and, and so, so for us, we, we call them the, the greatest generation. The generation who comes up after them, these people are the baby boomers. 
Right? The baby boomers, these are all the people who are born as the soldiers come back from war. They haven't seen their loved ones in quite some time. And so they think, let's make some babies. Okay? And so this is the baby boomers. Then the, the, the next generation coming up after them is Generation X, Miami Vice. I know Miami Vice has crossed the border. I know Generation X is in here like, yeah, I used to dress like that. There it is right there. Generation Generation X. Then the next generation, which I think is the second greatest generation of all time, and someday will be the greatest generation of all time. This is my generation, millennials. We haven't uh, aged enough yet to give a whole lot of significant uh, inventions to the world, but I will say we did give you the selfie. And for that, you are welcome. Somebody recently reminded me, they said, oh, you gave us Facebook too. Again, you're welcome. <laughs> generation the millennial generation. And then, of course, the youngest and, and, and currently the, the most emerging generation is Generation Z. There's not a whole lot written, uh, and I was politely corrected after first service, Generation Z, okay? There you go, Generation Z, all right? You happy? Okay. He said, the guy said to me real politely, he said, you know when you cross the border, it's Z? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Give me some context here. What's Z? You know, generation Z. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember, okay. Z, Generation Z, the youngest of the youngest of generation. This is the generation that has really just grown up with technology in their hands. Like this is just always on on an iPad, an Android device, or whatever other alien you hold in your hands. Like this is that generation right there. And you know, there's much has been written about all the different generations that have come and gone. And but what I found really interesting is that. Millennials and Generation Z, those who are coming up in the youngest of generations that are, that are existing today, it, it's said that this is the first generation, these are the first generations who don't need adults to receive more information. Think about that. Because as fast as they can type, as fast as they can hit go, hit send, they can receive answers to pretty much every question that they might have. First generation that doesn't need adults for more information. That's, that's, that's wild to think about. And, and yet, over the last 12 years, these are the two generations that I've given most of my life to. I've worked in kids' ministry, junior high ministry, high school ministry, young adult ministry for the last 12 years of my life. And, 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 and though I agree with that statement, don't need to dodge more information, what I have found to be true, and what I would venture to say most of you also have found to be true, is that they do need adults for interpretation. They need adults for interpretation of the information that they're experiencing, that which they see, hear, personally walk through. They need interpretation. They need the next generation above them to say, hey, look, I've got 20, 30, 40 years more experience than you. Let me share with you the journey that I've experienced as I've walked with God for this amount of time. Let me share with you how the storm that you're in right now, this too will pass. Let me share with you how God does heal all disease and forgives all iniquities and showers you with goodness, righteousness, and loving kindness. Let me tell you how the work that He's begun in you, He will be faithful to complete. We need the next, because let's just be real. Can we be honest? This is church. No lying in church, right? We all go through storms. All of us. That caused us to say, why, God? Are you, even, are you even for me? Are you even with me? Like, sometimes we don't just go through storms where we say, man, I don't even think God 
exists anymore. Like that's, that's the rare, that's the rarity. Most of the time it's just like, I just don't know if I believe your promises anymore. I just don't know if I can trust you in your entirety any longer. This is why we need the next generation to help us with interpretation. I think because of what Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy rather, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he, he, says, he says, I have run my race and I have finished my course. And it's because of what Paul writes that I think so frequently we, we think of life in this journey of faith as a sprint of sorts. And maybe even a marathon of kind. It's something that is individual. Like, okay, I have finished the race that God has given me. I have run my course. I have fulfilled the dream and the vision that God's given my life. And, and yet, I would venture to say, this is not a sprint. This is not a marathon. We must remember who Paul is even talking to in his second epistle to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. It's Paul's disciple, which just simply means a follower of Paul. This is a young protege of Paul. He's telling Timothy, I've finished my race. I've run my course. Let me pass on the baton to you. Not a sprint. It's not a marathon. This thing's a relay race, man. And you can be the most gifted and the most talented. You can have the greatest accolades. But when you're running a relay race, if you don't have a smooth passing of the baton... You won't win the race. I, I want to propose to us this morning that if we're going to win the race, if we're going to see a generation rise up within the greater Toronto region, and we're going to see, dare I say, we're going to see revival in this region and beyond, it's going to be because we pass the baton well. We pass the baton smooth. We pass the baton of all that God has done to the next generations as we help them interpret the information that they are receiving. In Psalm 78, the Psalm of Asaph, he writes about Judges chapter 2. He says, All my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you, here it is, hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have both heard and known, meaning stories that have been passed down to us from our parents, and stories that we have experienced ourselves. He says, these are stories that our ancestors handed to us. We will not, I love this verse 4, we will not, let this be the prayer and the cry of our heart this morning. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of our Lord, about His power. In his mighty wonders, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded, his, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. We just referenced here four generations. If you are in the education field, you love this type of thing. One generation building upon another generation. One thing building upon another. He goes on, he... he he says in verse 7, the reason for passing on this information is so that, here it is, so that each generation, three things, should set its trust in God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. Then there will not be a repeat of Judges chapter 2. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give God their hearts. 
This in Psalm 78, church, this is why it's not just good enough. It's good, but why it's not just good enough to come to church, to worship and surrender our own personal lives to God, to wake up in the morning, to read our scriptures, to go closer in our relationship with God. This is why it's not just good enough to see, okay, my relationship's strong, I'm doing my... This is why we must pass on the torch to the next generation. Because there's three things that he wants us to reveal to the emerging young people coming up behind us. Three things he wants us to pass on. A trust, number one, in God. That God can be trusted. I want my kids to know you can trust God even when it doesn't look like you can trust God. Because there will be times when it doesn't look like you can trust God. Hey, Peter, come up out of that boat. But, 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 but that's water. I, Peter, come up out of that boat. I trust you. I, I need the generation who has come before me to remind me of the miracles that God did in their life yesterday and to remind me that He's the same God today and to remind me that He'll perform similar miracles tomorrow. I need people to remind me, hey Jordan, the work that God's starting, He's faithful to complete it. I need a church. I need churches across this region and beyond to let the emerging generations know you can trust in God. Second thing is we need to pass on a not forgetting the miracle of Christ. Remember, church, that when we give our lives to Jesus, Jesus isn't simply becoming our friend. I don't want my daughter, Sophia, to think that when she says yes to Jesus, he simply walks alongside of her. I want her to know there's a miracle, Sophie, that takes place in your spirit. You become born again. Your flesh may not change because you were born from the dust of this earth. But when you said yes to Jesus, he his spirit into your body you're not the same girl anymore Sophie I need a generation to rise up knowing that Jesus is Jesus and there's a miracle in Christ I need him to know that when Jesus died on that cross and his spirit went down into the grave and he fought the demons of hell and the torn was split into two in the presence of God well, I need my, my, my daughter I need my son to know that you can experience the presence and the peace and the joy and the love and the grace of God wherever you are, wherever fight you fight for the rest of your life. The third thing, we need to pass on obedience to His command. That the Scriptures are truth. And we don't get to pick and choose what we believe within the Scriptures. And if God says it, that settles it, I'll do it. Whether I understand it or not, I'll do it. I just think we need to understand that truth is truth and the absence of truth is not truth. We need to pass on to the emerging generation. You can obey God's command. You can trust Him. Don't forget who Jesus is. You know, my dad, who's by no means perfect, and, and as I share this illustration with you, if he were here, he would... He would, he'd get upset with you if I made him out to sound better than he is. He'd be like, Jordan, don't talk to me about me like that. But I just remember growing up, my dad, every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday morning, he did not, that man will not miss a Sunday morning. 
He'd sit in his office. This is before the time of online giving. This is before the time of text to give. And he'd write out his tithe check, first 10%. He'd get paid on Friday. He'd tithe first thing on Sunday. He'd set that check on his desk in his offering envelope. We'd come to church. He'd drop it in the bucket. Sure enough, like clockwork, every single Sunday, I just saw my dad give. I can remember being in third or fourth grade and having a lemonade stand with my older sister and my younger brother. And we made like six bucks on a Saturday afternoon. And we split that three ways. And we're like, man, we're going to Disney World. Let's go, Dad. You know, all me. Dad's like, we're not going to Disney World, but you are going to tithe. What's 10% of $2? 20 cents. Okay, let's bring that to church tomorrow. You got it, Dad. I remember getting married to my wife, and we never had to question whether or not we would tithe. She grew up in a similar family. Of course we're going to give to the house of God. Of course we're going to give to the church. Of course the first 10% goes to God. No condemnation if you're not there yet, but for me, I saw it in the scriptures. I saw it modeled in my home, and so I just knew this is truth. I saw my dad do it as well. This is easy to do. Of course I'm going to take the first 10%. Right off the top. Every job I've gotten, I just know first 10% goes right to God. I can remember watching my dad twice a month. He would serve in the church. He was a camera operator. He'd get the schedule in the mail, paper schedule, and show him the dates and the services in which he was serving. And he would go to the paper calendar before the days of electronics. And to this day, my stepmom still has a paper calendar. It does all of her organizing and daily scheduling. And I have to remind her frequently, I'm like, you, you know you can use an electronic calendar. It's easier, better, faster, secure, you know. And, but still, he would go to the calendar. He'd write his serving schedule on there so the family knew. And on that Sunday, you'd have to drive separate because he had to go early. And so we just knew we'll meet dad at church because he's serving, helping on the camera. I can remember twice a month on Saturday mornings, uh, I was, uh, I try not to get, I always think I'm not going to get emotional when I talk about these things. I'm like, no, I'm good. And I just remember watching my dad. He led a handyman ministry in our church. That's what we called it where he would receive phone calls throughout the week from widows and, and single moms who needed help around the house. So Saturday mornings, he and I would go out. If it was a bigger project, he'd call some friends. We'd meet at different homes all across our community. We'd clean out gutters. We'd organize garages. We'd rake leaves, whatever, man. I just, I just went with them. This is what I did. This is what we did. This is how we served. This was my dad. I don't come from a lineage of pastors, but I come from a lineage of people who said, yes, I'll serve the house and I'll display for my children what it looks like to prioritize my life in a healthy manner. But this, this I mean, I'm so thankful for, for great parents, but the reality is, is that, that not everybody has great parents. And the reality is that even in my own personal life, the responsibility didn't just rest on my parents. This is why as a church, we are better together. This is why as a, as, a, as a community of people, as a congregation of, 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 of individuals coming together like a family, this is why we must embrace the mantle to pass on to the next generation. I can remember a, a youth pastor named Mike Yaller. We'll throw a picture up there. This is, this is Mike. I, I, I came to know Christ March of my senior year. I'm born and raised just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. When I was 21 years old, I moved to Ohio. My wife and I got planted in the church that we've been in now for the last... Uh, um, about 11 and a half years and and 
But Mike, when I first gave my life to Christ, he heard, he heard this. His church was right across the street from my school. He calls me on the phone. He says, Jordan, I heard that you just gave your life to Jesus. Let's meet for coffee. Let's meet for breakfast. We go out for breakfast. We begin to meet for the next two and a half months. And for two and a half months, until I graduated from high school, Mike just invested into my life. I never knew who Mike was before. And truth be told, when I graduated, I never talked or kept in touch with Mike after. But for two and a half months, Mike was so influential in my life, he began to sense that there was a timidness within me that I was still kind of ashamed of the decision that I made, still kind of embarrassed of, of following after Jesus. And so, so about, about 30 of his students at his student ministry who went to my school, he bought them these oversized double XL bright orange t-shirts. Truly, double X, bright orange t-shirts, girls, guys, didn't matter, this is what you're wearing. And on it, it said, I believe what Jordan believes. And they walked around school one day with these shirts. I didn't know it. Nobody told me about this. And so I got my friends coming up to me like, what do you believe? I'm like, ah. See, Mike knew you need to become comfortable with your faith, Jordan. And so all I knew to say was, I, I, like, I believe in Jesus. Uh, by the end of the day, I had so many people asking me. I was like, I believe in Jesus. I, like, I just became so calm. Mike was so influential. Uh, there's, there's a lady in our church for the last... 11 years now, she's been so crucial and influential to, to me and my, my family, for me and my wife and my kids. Her name is Jamie Lozecki there on the left. Her two kids are here this week in Italia's, one of our worship leaders. Just such gifted family, such a beautiful spirit about their family. I love this family so much, but for me, they're more than just a family in our church. They are people who have given themselves to investing into my family. We didn't ask them to. Jamie proactively sought out my wife, realizing that we're about 10 to 15 years behind where they are in life, that our kids are about 10 to 15 years younger than their kids. And so she began to share some secrets to the trade, so to speak, of how to raise your kids healthily in church, how to, how to, how to raise them in, in a public school system, how to, how to use them to be leaders in light among their generation. And, and we just took her advice. And I, I cannot tell you how many hundreds of conversations we've had with Jamie and her husband and, and their family just about life and this journey called faith and how many times my wife and I have just cried in their presence because we're going through something, we're experiencing something and they've just prayed with us and encouraged us and shared life's and Jesus and God's truth to us. Another lady in our church, she's like a hero in our church. She used to be, used to be my boss. She was the executive pastor of our church for a few years. She was a, she was the kids pastor in our church for about 17 years, and 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 we never had a real close relationship. But but when I was kind of feeling a little bit down and out a few years ago, and I was I was in the spirit of transparency, I was ready to move on. I was like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go do something different. I had a plan, and I. I I've actually never publicly completely shared with anybody the entirety of that plan except for Pastor Janice. And, and I told her, because she began to sense, and she pulls me into her office, she says, Jordan, what's going on? What's going on? I've been praying, something's going on. I'm just shared with her. I trusted her. I believe that it could be a confidential, healthy conversation, and I share with her. And she prayed with me, and she had that conversation and two more. And I'm telling you, those, the, I'm telling you right now, without a shadow of a doubt, she, if she... I'd still be in ministry if it wasn't for her. I wouldn't be here at this church if it wasn't for her because I would have been gone. I would have moved on. She was so influential to say, Jordan, this life, this thing called life, this thing called faith, 
it just requires perseverance. It requires some endurance. If you want to be a leader, you're going to have to learn to endure. Step up to the fight. Step up to the challenge. Uh, we need, we, I can imagine as I'm sharing these stories with, with you guys, that there's people in your life who you are being reminded even in this moment. I'm so thankful for them. My gosh, I never realized the influence they've had on me. My, I never knew until this moment right now how that conversation has influenced me and pushed me, propelled me into my future. And maybe, maybe you're in here right now and you say, I don't really know that God's been that, that faithful. Let me just say, you're here right now. Therefore, God's been very, very, very faithful. Maybe you've been going through some stuff in the past and you think, man, why is this happening? You're here right now. I don't know why that's been happening, but God's been very, very, very faithful. We, we need to pass on the baton to the next generation. We need the voice of those who are older. I need your voice. The young people of this church need your voice. The, if you're 70 in here, the 60-year-olds need your voice. If you're 60 in here, the 50-year-olds need your voice. 50, 40, 40, 30, 30, 20. We need your voice. So I'm going to give you three very practical things on how to help the next generation win. I'm going to fly through these. So if you're taking notes, write these down. And I pray, my hope and my prayer this morning has been that one of these or all of these would really resonate with you. Because I believe that God's doing something special in this church. I can see it. I can sense it. I know it. You guys recently even brought on new, new youth pastors. And I believe that you're, you're going to another level. As a church, hang with me. I'll get you out of here, I promise. But you, you, don't tell me there's lots of time, Pastor. You, you, uh, you got to know very, 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 I have the privilege of getting to travel a little bit. And I have a, a, a privilege of getting to talk to a bunch of leaders all across my nation. And very, very few churches understand the value of investing in the emerging generation. They just don't get it. And consequently, very few churches then fully ever change a culture in a city. My church gets it. My, my pastors, they get it. They resource well. They staff very well. They equip very well. They give freedom and opportunity for fresh new ideas more gracefully and with more humility than, to be quite honest, very few churches that I've seen. And because of that, I believe that you will see my church back home in Canton, Ohio, have an impact. But I believe what I said earlier. You want to change the culture, you invest in the kids and the youth, you wait 10 to 15 years, and you'll see an entire generation take over a community. I believe that you will see from Cleveland all the way down to Columbus and beyond, you will see a generation. I believe, mark my words right now, mark it right now, 15, 20 years from now, you will see something unusual happen in the state of Ohio. Mark my words. Because we've got leaders who understand how to raise up, release, invest, and, and, and just charge forward the next generation. And let me just tell you this right now. This is that church. This is, if you're not sure if this church is home, you're still trying to figure it out, let me just tell you right now, this is home. This is that church. You want to be a part of doing something special in the greater Toronto region? Stay planted in this house right here. Invest financially. Invest with your energy. Invest with your effort into the next generation. You will see God do something mighty 
on your behalf. I despair at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God do something mighty on my behalf. I believe that that's the cry and the decree of your pastor's hearts as well. So three quick things. First one, show up. Show up consistently. Investing in the next generation, regardless of what generation you're investing into, it just requires consistency. That's it. If you met my dad, you would be underwhelmed. I've had so many friends say, that's not what I expected your dad to be like. I thought he'd be a little bit more like you. He, he, he's, my dad and I are so different, but you know what my dad is so good at? He's so consistent. Just day after day. Just faithful in his attitude. Faithful in his love walk. Does he have? Yes, he screws up. And I reminded him of that all the time. But consistency is the key. Number two, prepare the child. Prepare the next gen for the path, not the path for the child, not the path for the next gen. You know the difference, right? It's helping young people understand, hey, I'm going to prepare you and build you up for the storms that will come, as opposed to, to, to catering to your naiveties that you'll never experience any trials in your life. I'm going to prepare you to withstand those storms rather than helping you or making you buy into the false reality that there never will be storms number three don't just be the vision or rather don't just have a vision but be the vision don't just talk about going to church and serving and don't just talk about the will and the plan of god don't just talk about how you can be a great leader in the business place the marketplace a great mom no show your kids what it looks like to love your spouse show your kids what it looks like to serve in the house show your kids what it looks like to love your neighbor Show your kids what it looks like to serve your community. Show your kids what it looks like to be faithful to your job and to speak highly with honor of your employer. Show your family. I, I intentionally, I have a connect group that, that, that I lead, a small group of, of guys that I lead. I, it's at my house. You know why? Because I want my family to see. I want my daughter. She's always peeking around the corner watching us. I intentionally want my daughter to hear us pray. I want her to hear us talk about life. I'm trying to raise her up. I am not perfect. I can share with you a story right now, something I did last week that I had to get before my family and say, guys, I'm sorry. That was my mistake. I screwed up. Daddy was wrong. But, but I try my best, and I think, that's, I think that's what we need to pass on. So practically, here, I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you a challenge. Practically. If you are a parent in here this morning, you've got kids, no matter their age, I'm going to ask that within the next seven days, before next weekend, that you share with them your story. The story of God, of how God saved you. The story of the miracles and the faithfulness that God performed in your life. The story of how God brought you out of that situation. And maybe it didn't happen. You were praying and praying and praying and in your timing it wasn't coming to pass but the story of how I stayed faithful I persevered I endured and then God was faithful share that story with them do they know how you came to know Jesus do they know the pain and the struggles of your past have they ever heard you talk highly of the miracle of Christ in your life share with them Go home today. Sit down with them. 10, 15 minutes. It doesn't have to take long. Maybe they're out of your house. Call them. You say, they don't know Jesus. Especially call them. Tell them it's a, like this guy told me. He, he made me promise. He, I have to do it. I'm gonna be, I don't want to be a liar in church. You know, so just blame it on me. 
But share, please, church, share with the next generation what God has done. We bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.